Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the first of what we hope will become a routine look at the world of identity and access management. My name is Jeff Stedman, and I'm here with Jim McDonald. We're both strategic identity and access management consultants with Identropy's advisory practice. Jim and I have each been in the IM space for over 15 years and have been in the trenches of real-world identity management programs, deployments, and operations. Uh, as far as my background, you know, I've worked for several large companies running IAM operations globally. Uh, Jim, do you want to talk a little about your background? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Jim McDonald here. I joined Identity seven years ago, and I've been in the advisory services group as well as uh, I started and ran the Fordrock practice for a while. Uh, Fordrock is a, a IAM vendor uh, focused on external identity and access management. And really, that's kind of my area of specialty. So um, my first IAM project was focused on, um, I was actually when I was with a manufacturing company, I was responsible for the dealer portal. So I was kind of a, a web server and web application guy. I was more on the technical side of the house, but I was kind of transitioning in my career into getting into more project management, program management. At the time, I was just getting started with... Uh, getting my MBA at Rutgers University, a little shot out there. Um, and, you know, I got this opportunity to take our dealer portal and, and expand it across multiple brands. So taking a bunch of different web applications that were used for doing business functionality, like ordering and ordering complete machines and parts and submitting warranties and things like that. And um, had to pull it all together into one portal. We had our dealerships across the United States and somewhat somewhere outside the United States. And we had a lot of these applications that um, some users would have accounts in all the different applications with different usernames and things like that. And our drive to start with was to get to one ID and password per person. And um, you know, that's a bigger challenge than you, than you realize when you start going down that road. And so, that's how I got into identity and access management because we came to find out this is an actual space. You know, this is something that people were creating solutions for. And maybe that's Captain Obvious today, but 15 years ago, uh, it wasn't, at least for me. So uh, that's how I got into the space. And I always say, you know, everybody's got their own story, how they got into IAM. Uh, you know, and most of us stumbled into it by doing some other job and then found that, hey, we're all of a sudden on an IAM project and got into it at the right time or, or even today, I think, you know, if this is some, depending on, you know, where you are in your career, if this is like an area that you're looking to get into, um, it's something I think that pretty much anybody with a business background or a technical background can get into IAM uh, and just, you know, everybody has their own career pathway, I think, in this space. You know, <laughs> It's, it's interesting to say that. So I was at the Identiverse conference this past week in Washington, D.C., and, um, and I I'm in the process of writing a blog article about this, but it's funny that you mentioned how you got into IAM, because I don't know anybody who got into IAM starting with IAM, right? I mean, they, they started maybe on the network side or help desk side, like myself. I started in the help desk and kind of moved over to an, an ID administrator before you know, moving even beyond that. But... It's, I, I don't know anybody in the IAM space that started in IAM. <laughs> do, do you know anybody that fits that bill? 
I can think of one person, which was uh, Mario Dusai, who's now with, um, is he with Transmit Security now? Yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, he, he was a developer. We um, brought him in and uh, for the bank that I was working for. We brought him in as a developer. And that was like five years ago. And that's what I think the, you know, the, the, my answer to your question was 10 years ago, the answer would have been no. But I think more and more now, it's like the IM space is, has gotten so big. And we, you know, one of the things that we are always talking about is, you know, the need for more talent to get into this, into this area. Mm-hmm. And I think IM is now in the place where it's like, you know, a, a kind of a cottage industry where we have to go out and take people who ne- don't necessarily have the skill set, you know, people fresh out of college and get them into IM. You know, another example is Fletcher Eddington from our company. He was hired as an intern and he was doing technology deployments in the IM space. And now he's on the sales side, but he's built his entire career around IM. So I think it's more of a, a kind of a recent phenomenon, maybe within the past five years or maybe a little bit more. But yeah, you know. People have been in this space for a long time. Most of us kind of stumbled into it one way or another. Right. Yeah, it was interesting. You mentioned the intern thing when I was at the conference and uh, we were having a uh, an ID Pro organizational meeting, uh, kind of like a get-together meeting, i.e. I drinking at a bar. <laughs> and um, we were talking with a couple of folks from IBM and they actually have a um, an intern kind of process where they'll bring people in and have them kind of work around the different um, engage not engagements, uh, like different departments in the IAM kind of a consulting uh, that they do. And they're trying to get more uh, younger talent, you know, into those groups as well. So they actually have a, a dedicated program to hmm. find those people, you know, get them exposure and kind of help them figure out where in the IAM space they might fit, if they fit, right? If they don't, you know, they, they kind of move on. But, um, you know, they're, they're a big company and they're looking to get support and, you know, from, from a talent perspective and they actually have a kind of decade program, which I thought was pretty cool. And it's, it's probably something I would imagine lends itself more to the consulting space, right? Bringing in folks and trying to get people in IAM. I don't, I don't see like an enterprise bringing people in and letting them kind of figure out, you know, where they want to be, you know, to that level. But, um, you know, those folks at some point end up in the industry. That would be probably a good yeah. for all of us. You know, when when I first got into IT about 20 years ago, there were a lot of different ways you could get into IT and kind of build a career. So there was, um, you know, you could be a network engineer, you could be a server engineer, things like that. But a lot of those spaces have become commoditized and they you know, smaller companies, mid-sized companies just outsource server hosting or network um, network setup or voice over IP phones, you know, phone systems. That was a, another entry point into IT uh, back in my day. Um, but, you know, today there's fewer and fewer of those. They're being commoditized and, you know, not necessarily moved out of the United States, but into bigger companies that, I'm sure they have internship programs and things like that to get into as well. But IAM has been one of those spaces where it's evolving so rapidly and a lot of small companies move into the space and it gives opportunities for um, 
newbies or new people to move into the space and really build a career. And one of the things that I've always loved about IAM is that the people who I think are the most successful have, you know, really good business skills, but enough technology skills to be dangerous or vice versa. They've got really good technology skills and they understand business just enough to be dangerous. Or obviously if you're, if you're really experienced with both, that's great. But um, you're solving business problems with IM. You know, you're really having to look at how do you do things today? How do you want to do them? Uh, compare that with how does the software work out of the box and having the business sense to know that you don't want to take something that you bought that works out of the box and customize the, you know, customize it too much and then be stuck with kind of a Frankenstein system. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more to IAM than just technology, right? I mean, it's, there's, it, there's management, there's marketing, there's, you know, communication, relationship building. There's all, and I think maybe it's not clearly obvious unless you've been in the space for a while. It's, it's not just a technology decision. You know, I don't consider myself overly technical. I know enough probably to be dangerous, um, but I'm not going to go out and, you know, write you code and, you know, and install and configure your system. But I certainly understand, you know, the, the macro concepts, how things are going to work together. How does this work in the real world that, you know, large companies and change boards and, you know, software review boards and kind of all the company governance that tends to go around, you know, big projects, you know, how to market out there. And, you know, one of the things I always <laughs> say during our engagements, right, is, you know, from a program manager perspective, you know, half your job is out there doing diplomacy, kissing babies, right? Making relationships, people, making people aware of what are the services that you're offering. So that's probably a topic that we'll maybe cover in the future, you know, what makes a good IAM program manager. I think that's an excellent topic. Maybe we do it on the right road at some point. Um, so what do we want to talk about today? I think what we should try to cover today is something that's kind of near and dear to what we do because we can you know, discuss it and, and based on our real world experience, but putting together an IM strategy and, you know, with the role that you and I are in, is just to be clear to everybody, what we do is we're the advisory services team at Identropy. So we parachute in with our clients uh, who are kind of come to the realization that we need an IM strategy. Uh, and then they at some point discover we don't know how to make an IAM strategy. So I, I think we could talk about, you know, the framework that we follow and kind of the process that we go through because not every organization, not every IAM program manager can afford to go out and bring consultants in and, and help with the process. But I think the process is something that anybody could take on. And there might be some folks out there who are interested in just kind of understanding what we do and, and how we do it. So um, what I was going to kind of talk about was our framework. Um, and, you know, I, I really like to break down what we do into three major parts. So it's assess, recommend, and roadmap. And so let me go through those three parts and, <laughs> and break them down further. But the assessment phase is really understanding how things work today. Um, and I think this is important to understand where your starting point is. And, and really it's, it's going to help you um, develop kind of where we're at today and what we want to accomplish, which is gonna be that recommend phase, and then realizing the amount of work that needs to happen to go from 
point A to point B. Um, so normally with the assessment, where we start is we do a lot of, uh, we do a scoping exercise. So what we call it is our put chart. And the put chart is essentially um, processes, user types, and target systems. The whole idea and why we do that is to go through what is the scope of the IAM program? Because IAM can mean many different things to many different people. But if you get an exhaustive list of like, here are the, the processes that we want to go after, whether it's you know, things related to managing privileged identities, user onboarding, user offboarding, authentication into applications, whatever. And, and maybe it's not all those things. Maybe it's, you know, just password management. It's a more finite scope. But realizing what your scope is is kind of the starting point. And one of the great things that comes out of that exercise is that as you go through something like, who are the, the user types? So in other words, who are, the, who are we doing these IEM processes for? You're going to realize, oh, here are the stakeholders that we need to get involved. If we're talking about external customers, for example, we need to get people who kind of within our, within our organization uh, is are the person who's responsible for you know, communication to those users, things like that. Who provides them support? In other words, when a user runs into an issue, where do they turn? Well, maybe that's the service desk. We're talking about employees, we're probably getting HR involved. If then as we go into target systems, say SAP or um, Salesforce is on the list. Well, we need to get people involved from, from those uh, stakeholder groups. Now, all those people that we've identified we then want to get them involved in a workshop. And a workshop would be, you know, a series of meetings where we understand from folks what, you know, how do things work today, what's working well, what's not working well, what ideas do you have for how to make things work better. And so that, that's kind of the starting point is, I guess, to break down the assess phase, it's, you know, identifying scope, identifying stakeholders, and then meeting with those stakeholders, going through kind of the workshop activities. And that might be a, a future podcast as well as like, what do these workshops look like? How do we structure the workshops? What are the questions? But what I like to do in the workshops, the way I like to see workshops run is for them to be very interactive. It's right. not for us to kind of be interrogating or just asking one-way questions and just taking notes. It, the more that we're interacting and whiteboarding or going through diagrams and process flow charts, the better. And then coming out of that and, and kind of the reason we use the term assess is that some things are going to jump out at you right away. Like, you know, this process is broken or this process works really well. This is a strength within the organization. This is a weakness. I want to make sure we document all those and then kind of be able to tell the story. You know, what is it that, needs to improve what are the drivers for this program why is it important to do something mm -hmm. so i don't know what are your thoughts on that jeff yeah I, I, you know that's that's right on i think one of the things that typically ends up being one of the hardest parts of the engagements that we work through with our customers is trying to get that attendance right for those workshops and having people be available um, it is an investment of time right to get those folks in there but it's certainly um, beneficial you know definitely for the customer and definitely for us people understand well how does it really work today right because you can have things that are written down on paper and process etc and that's great but that may not actually capture what's really happening right so if we can get folks in the room 
you know, set up a safe space, right, to, to have those conversations and, and figure out, you know, how do, how do we solve some of the issues that we hear? That definitely helps out quite a bit. Um, you know, when you talk about the assessment, I always find it interesting, and I, I know we both ask this question a lot, you know, how, from an assessment perspective, you know, are we right on, you know, do they, does, you know, does the customer agree with us, or do they have a different perception? So it's always interesting to kind of have that conversation and say, yeah, we knew that we weren't doing so great here, and, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what we were expecting. I don't think I've ever come across one where, um, you know, we've done an assessment, and provided, you know, here's why we think you're X and the customer saying, well, you're totally wrong. This is why we're, we're so much better than what you think. Right. Um, right. It's, we're usually pretty right on with that. I don't know if you've ever encountered that from an assessment perspective, but um, I think companies kind of break, you know, brace themselves for the worst and maybe sometimes they're pleasantly surprised or, you know, they agree with the assessment, uh, but I've never seen the opposite where, you know, they thought they were doing a lot better than, you know, maybe what they really were. Um, no, no, I think you're right on with that point. I think you're right on with that point. One thing that I, or two points that I wanted to throw out there. One is, I, this is my perspective, is like, this is your strategy. Because a lot of times, we'll, and, and so that drives a certain perspective. Like, you don't need to know every iota of detail in order to make a strategy. You need to know what are the major areas of improvement you know, if the, the way passwords are managed is a problem, you don't need to know every different aspect of the password management policy or, you know, fr from a strategic perspective, if you know that the tool is the problem, the tool needs to be replaced, then that really ought to drive the strategy. So you don't want to get burdened with too much detail. And I think a lot of times in the projects that we've worked on, some of our clients think, you guys are here, you need to know every detail we need to meet with every stakeholder, anybody who has anything to do with passwords. Yeah. And it's just not the case. Um, the other point that I wanted to bring out is that, you know, we talked about it as a workshop and, you know, at least from an identity perspective, these are engagements. So we're going in and, and we want to try and get all of this information in a week. So we try to schedule all the meetings in a week. I feel like if our listeners are going out and trying to do this on their own, they should take that same perspective. If you spread these meetings out over several weeks or much worse, several months, yeah. you're going to lose momentum. You'll um, never get it done. You'll never get it done. You'll forget things. There's always going to be one more person to talk to. And it doesn't create an event. It doesn't create like one of the things I think about when folks hire us is that the consultants are coming in. They're going to be here this week. You need to be ready. Right. Okay. Make yourself available, right? Yeah. Make yourself available. We're going to do one-off exceptions. You can do a phone call next week if you can't be there because you're on vacation or whatever the reason is. But we don't let it drag out three weeks. It's kind of like if you can't talk for three weeks, your perspective is not going to be included. And, you know, I don't mean to be so harsh and, you know, you don't really need to be that harsh, but if you have several groups who are saying like, yeah, you know, if it's just not important enough for them, that's right. a bigger problem. And um, so that, that is it to me is like, you've got to kind of create an event. You've got to have, um, there needs to be a sense of an urgency event. around it. Right. I mean, let's, let's, let's get people in the room. Let's get this conversation. We know it's an issue. We've got these, you know, high powered consultants coming in, 
you know, let's take advantage of their time, set aside, you know, the time to, so we can get this done. That's typically why I think it's one of the hardest parts, right? Trying to get those folks uh, to buy into that process, get availability, you know, the bigger the team, the bigger the, the number or the larger number of the stakeholders, just becomes that much more difficult. So the other thing too, I think is if we try to keep it more core and bring in other folks as needed, that sometimes can help with that as well. Because most companies, they typically have like a core kind of IAM team, whether or not they're truly a team or not. <laughs> you know, there's, right. there's typically a handful of people who really know how it works. And then you've got supporting characters around that might be, you know, subject matter expert, experts in a given area um, that don't necessarily need to be there full time. But we certainly would like to have an hour, two hours, three hours of their time so that we can, you know, understand their side of it. That, that definitely comes into play. Right, right. And so, you know, moving on from the assessment, I think you made a good point. We we like to, with our assessment, bring it back to the client, have them review it, verify that it's comprehensive and complete. We didn't forget something. Uh, we didn't state facts incorrectly. Usually that's not the case, but the, it's good to do a quality check. Mm -hmm. um, and then we move on to making recommendations. And our recommendations are typically based on best practices. So. We know what the problems are in the environment, and we know what are the common industry solutions, but more so than just technology solutions, it's um, there's some major themes that we generally look toward, like centralization, automation, um, you know, consistent processes so that, you know, say you're working with a large organization, they do things different ways in different departments, trying to drive toward one, one common way of doing things is mm -hmm. th those are the typical drivers i'm not going to say that you know they those work for a hundred percent of organizations but probably high 90s you know doing things from a central perspective or at least having certain things done from a central perspective automating you know it's not always the case that you want to automate something but you want to have a framework for automating where it makes sense um, so that that's really what we do from a recommendation standpoint. And of course, you know, Jeff and I have a lot of experience in the space. So we, we kind of, a lot of these things are second nature to us, but a lot of the, um, the benefits that you get and kind of some of these best practices, like I talked about are also, if you think about any kind of enterprise project, if you're looking at an active directory project or something like that, it would be the same kind of theme, centralization, automation, um, so, so those are, are the drivers. One of the ways you can, you know, if you're not working with a consultant that you can start to get some ideas on how the industry solves these problems would be to start to bring vendors in mm -hmm. to, you know, present them. Here, here are the problems. What are your, you know, how would you go about solving these problems? That's going to give you some information. Now right. from the identity perspective, that's not how we operate because we, go from a vendor agnostic frame of, frame of mind. We, you know, we want to say, you know, if we were in your shoes, this is how we would do it. And we base it on our experience. So um, I think anybody could implement the framework, but nobody can implement Jim McDonald's experience except for Jim McDonald, because I'm the only one who has my set of experience and Jeff is the only one who has his and everybody who's listening is the only person who has theirs. Right. Um, but, you know, so that's kind of how we go about the recommendations kind of some of the major elements of recommendations are going to be, you know, people process and technology. What are the things that would uh, go about solving 
kind of the assessment, doing kind of a gap fit analysis. You know, here are the gaps and here are the recommended solutions. Um, another thing I would say is a lot of things that are going to come out of the assessment have nothing to do with technology. They just have to do with how you're running your IM program. One of our, <laughs> our recommendations is always you got to run IM as a program. I'm oh, sorry, Jeff, go ahead. No, that, I mean, you're right on it's, it. This is an area I think that it's, it's easy to become overwhelmed, right? It's, there's so many things that might come out of just recommendations, but a lot of it typically doesn't tend to be technology-based, right? It's, it's more on the process side. Um, you know, one of the questions that, that we like to ask, you know, is why do you do it, why do you do it that way? And sometimes no one really has a good reason why, <laughs> right? Just no one, no one figured out or wanted to kind of rock the boat and, you know, maybe we play bad cop, you know, as part of the, part of the, part of the process to say, okay, well, why are you doing it that way? What about this? And kind of ask those questions, you know, you don't ask those, you'll, you'll never get, you know, a, a path forward sometimes, but it's easy to get overwhelmed, especially, you know, with some of our larger engagements where, you know, you may end up with like over a hundred, you know, individual recommendations. You can't solve everything all at once. And, you know, that probably leads us into the next part here where we talk about roadmap, but how do you prioritize you know, what goes first, you know, is, is self-service pass or reset more important because your help desk is, you know, drowning in those calls or is privilege access management, you know, more important because you're not doing anything there, right? How do you figure out, you know, which, which area comes first? Yeah. Oh, well, there's, there's really no silver bullet for that. I mean, you've got to look at what are the drivers in the organization? Let's just say, you know, you think the driver, Versus automation, we go into certain clients and we just say, my God, you guys are drowning in risk, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and other organizations are driven by risk and, you know, just say, wow, you guys could be doing the, doing everything so much better if you just had some automation. Um, but usually it's, it's a balance of all those things. It's risk, it's automation, it's uh, opportunity for, you know, enabling new technologies and, and the, you know, certain things are going to bubble to the top. One thing that I think almost never wants to be heard, but is, is the case is that if you're going to introduce a lot of new technology footprints. So say you're going to put an access management single sign-on system in place. Mm -hmm. You're going to have some, I don't want to call it heavy lifting, but there's some infrastructure that needs to be laid down. There's going to need to be some basic work put into play to configure the system. You're gonna to have to do, you know, implement maybe one system as kind of a proof of concept, uh, just to make sure that, um, you know, nobody wants to do a big bang approach. Right. Even the smallest enterprises don't wanna do big bang. So you, you've gotta think about things in phases, but I, I'd say, you know, more and more is moving to the cloud. The infrastructure phase is, either eliminated or shrunk down considerably. But not everything is moving to the cloud. And this is a good blog topic for, or uh, podcast topic for the future is to talk about, you know, access management, single sign-on is something that is moving out to the cloud dramatically quicker than the identity governance and administration space. That's because companies, the, the way they do identity administration and governance varies much more from organization to organization. The fields they have to manage and govern and provision, it just, it, there's so much more variance. Whereas single sign-on has really driven towards some of these federation protocol standards like SAML 2.0 and OpenID, OpenID Connect, 
and um, it, those things have been able to move out to the cloud and there's now integration patterns that will be able to take cloud-based single sign-on and, and connect it to applications that are even on-premise hosted. So, you know, I guess what the, the point that I was making was, you know, don't forget kind of the infrastructure phases. Don't think that you can just say our phase one is going to be it just integrating applications because you're going to have to get those config those early configurations and maybe some infrastructure spun up as well. That's mm -hmm. kind of the traditional element. Well, plus they'll change too, right? I mean, what if you're, if you're working on a roadmap, especially if it's like any roadmap beyond a year, right? There's going to be changes that come along the way, so you need to be able to be flexible and adapt, you know, as, as things come down uh, down the pipeline. Right. I think if if somebody's out there listening and say, well, how do I apply this to me? Because I can't afford to go out and get consultants. How am I going to build my IM strategy? And I, I think the hardest part is less coming up with what the, you know, I think anybody, maybe not anybody, but most of us can, can look at these problems, look at the vendor solutions that are out there, read what they say on their website, watch their YouTube videos and say, I think this will solve the problem. The, the hard part is being confident that, yeah, <laughs> it'll solve the problem. And so that's where I think that, you know, why or one of the reasons why organizations want Jim and Jeff to come in to help is that, you know, what we've seen and we can base it on our experience to say, you know, yes, we can be very confident. You don't want to come up with a strategy that you're not hundred percent confident in. If you yeah, don't have that experience, if you don't have that experience, I think it really, you, you're going to have to go the extra mile and tap into whatever, um, whatever resources you have available to you. And one of the best ways, one of the ways I learned a, a lot about identity access management was tapping into my colleagues at other companies and, mm -hmm. you know, my friends who were in the space and message boards and things like that, because, you know, there are people out there who love sharing information. Jeff, you and I are doing this podcast today because we love sharing information. Um, there's ways to get the information, ways to get people's opinions. I'd say also within your organization, IM is, you know, IM is a technical beast unto itself, but a lot of the um, architecture design that you're going to do, you know, pulling some of the, the enterprise architecture team, or if you have other resources like that, you can tap into to help to make sure that you're following good architecture design principles. Right. Well, it's that experience. I think that's, that's the important thing, but you know, and this is one of the reasons why I moved into consulting was when you work for a single company, you know how they do it and you know the tools that they use, right? When you're in consulting, you're seeing how way more companies do it. You're getting a you know, much broader exposure to a larger number of tools and you get to see much quicker what works, what doesn't work, how a particular issue might have been solved at one organization. And, you know, that's where that experience factor comes in. As you pull that, you know, situation over and say, okay, this is very similar to what we saw at company X. Now that we're company Y, yeah, you know what, we've seen something similar to that. Let's talk about how this might work. And you know, that, that certainly helps. And I think that goes back to reaching out to your network, right? And, trying to figure out everyone struggles with very similar problems, you know, for the most part. Um, it, it's very rare that not very rare, but um, you know, a lot of companies struggle with very similar problems. Let's just leave it at that. Right. And if you can talk with more folks in your networks, et cetera, 
and see how they solved it. There may be um, components of their solution that might be able to apply to fix your own. And, you know, once you talk to enough folks and try to get enough data points, you start to build that, that confidence level that, yeah, okay, here's the right way to approach it. So, you know, right. having that broad uh, network and being able to talk with folks, you know, go to conferences, you know, commiserate with the folks there. Um, you know, I think the other thing too is, you know, be straight up and upfront with some of the vendors, right? So if you bring in a vendor and you've got a specific problem, tell them what it is and, and see how they would solve it. Right? That might help you understand it. Sure, they're going to try and sell you their product, um, but take the information and as you're comparing different vendors, see how each one handles it. Um, you right. may find that A, you know, the vendor A is better at what you're looking for specifically, specifically than vendor B, even though vendor B might be the big dog, right, in the industry. So there's no there's no silver bullet like you, you put it before. Yeah. So after we go through assess, recommend, and roadmap, now you have your strategy. I think the final step now is communicate, communicate, communicate. Tell everybody about your strategy. Present right. it to your peers. Present it back to um, the folks that participated in helping you define what's working well and what's not working well. Get buy-in, right? And I would really start, if you can, kind of at more of the grassroots level, the people who uh, participated and then work your way up the channel so that you're presenting to an executive team, letting them know that you have buy-in, letting them know how you got to build the strategy, who you talked with, mm -hmm. and that you've gone back to those teams and they're buying in. And in my experience, executive teams are going to want to know, does everybody agree with this? Does everybody agree that this is, is the solution? And then they're going to want to know how much does it cost? cost? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody agree. And how much does it cost? Right. So, um, yeah, but I mean, and, and again, probably a, another topic for another time is really going about communicating, but that's kind of the soft skills. Right. Um, it's all about marketing, or, right? <laughs> it is that at, when you're at that point, it's all about marketing. You've got to be able and to communicate. You get approval and you start going into projects. That's where the technology is going to be you know, technical skills are going to be even more valuable because, you know, if you're a program manager and you're running projects, you don't want to get, um, you don't want to get techno babbled to death or, mm -hmm. or tricked. Um, you want to be able to uh, evaluate that yourself and make sure that you get it. That was always my thing. You know, if, if something was technology related that was, you know, outside of my, um, expertise i'd say explain it to me until i understand it and yeah. eventually i would not either understand it or they couldn't explain it to me in a way that i understood and then i didn't want anything to do with it <laughs> yeah if you can't articulate the value of whatever it is you're trying to do and it obviously extends beyond just i am but if you can't articulate the value of what the i am program is going to bring what you're trying to do you're not going to get the money to do anything i mean right i mean it's you have to be That's able right. to tell the story of why we're doing this, what's the benefit for it, and how does it make our life better, right? That's and right. That'll get you the money, theoretically, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you know, how much money is always up for today? I mean, budgets are always a, you know, hot button item, and, you know, some companies, you know, may have, you know, set aside already money for that, or some haven't really, and some have been thinking about it for a while, and, you know, the longer you wait, typically the more you're going to have to spend up, you know, to get caught up, so to speak. But if you can't articulate the value or 
about what you're trying to do, you know, nobody's going to approve any type of spend for that. Um, yeah. So you want to be able to, to sort of start to master that communication strategy of what is, what are we trying to do here? Why are we doing it? And, and uh, why is it important? Right. Those sorts of things. I think that provides a pretty good summary of our process. Um, we could probably leave it there for now. I agree. I think, you know, our goal, I think today was to kind of kick this thing off, right? To yeah. get started. And these are the types of conversations we'll have, dive into some more of these areas. We'll, you know, this is really the, the plan part that we talked about today. We'll talk about build projects, about how to run an operations environment. Um, those are the kind of topics that people are interested in. I think they'll, they'll enjoy this podcast. Yeah. I mean, really it's, you know, pretty much a wide range of topics. Anything that's really identity related is probably in scope for us, you know, whether it's current events, uh, you know, topics that we see come up during our own advisory engagements that we're working on, any other items that we might come across that, that people might find interesting. Um, and if there's a particular, uh, if there's a particular, you know, topic, or if you've got a question or even just general feedback, you can always email us at questions at identity at the center.com. We'll be sure to read all those and take that and help plan out future episodes of uh, Identity at the Center. Awesome, I think, Jeff. I think, I think it was great. I think that was it for our first one. So um, we're going to call it there. And thanks all for listening. Take care.